Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. And with the series uh, that we've been going through, we've been talking about the pain of life, how to deal with it, all the, all the raw emotions that come, and the fact when we feel like we've been losing, and in those moments where it's, we're supposedly have won, we don't feel like it. And I want to start off with this question, do you feel like bad things happen right after something good? Do you feel like bad things happen right after something good? And there's a story in the Bible, in the Old Testament, story of Elijah. And Elijah at the time had just performed this amazing miracle, this huge victory in the land of Israel. God is no longer worshipped by his people and people started worshipping um, pagan gods. Uh, they started worshipping the uh, god of Baal. And there's this big uh, there was this big drought over all of the land for over three years that it hadn't rained. And Elijah challenged all the prophets of Baal, um, all of the prophets of Baal, and said, let us, let us put our gods to the test. You guys can do whatever you got to do and pray for God to accept this, burnt, this offering by lighting it on fire. And I'll go second. And whoever's God shows up, that will be the God of Israel that we worship. And so it goes through this whole, um, these, all these rituals that, that these Baal prophets do. They're cutting themselves. They're trying to make all these um, chants. And they're yelling out. And Elijah starts talking smack. He starts saying, maybe you need to scream a little bit louder. He can't hear you. Maybe he's falling asleep. You need to go wake him up. And he's just, you know... Uh, whoever said that sarcasm is not of God, they lied. It's all throughout the Bible. There's so much sarcasm in the Bible. It's crazy. And, and Elijah is just being so sarcastic and mocking these prophets of Baal. And after all day of them trying to get uh, this God of Baal to ignite this sacrifice, nothing happened. And then when it was Elijah's turn, he poured out, uh, I think it was seven uh, seven things of water over the the cut up bull, and to pour out all this water was a huge sacrifice because there was a huge a drought in the land for the last three years, and and it was even more um, more amazing because why would you pour water on something that you were trying to start on fire? And so after he does that, he makes a simple prayer. And, and tells God to show the people of Israel who the true God is and accept this sacrifice. And as soon as he finished praying, it said that this fire from heaven came and licked up all the water. It burnt up all the water and burnt up the sacrifice just like that. It's like the scariest thing anyone has ever seen. And it said that all of the people of Israel knew at that moment that God had shown himself and that Elijah had an amazing victory, and they felt so passionate about it that they went and, and they slaughtered all 300 prophets of Baal. And they were, they were no longer going to worship 
any false gods to the point where they were willing to slaughter the prophets. And in Elijah's time, this was a, a, a huge victory. A whole nation so passionately, even crazily, turning back to God. And he tells Ahab, start your way home. I'm going to pray to God for rain to come. And it's going to rain and, and it's going to just show you how much more God is, God is the God of Israel. And all this happens. A lot, it's, a, it's a really famous story where Elijah prays seven times and sends his servant to go check. And he said, there's no cloud, there's no cloud, there's no cloud. But on the seventh time, he says, there's a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And then it, was, it described it as an outpouring from heaven. And it rained and rained and rained. Everything that Israel was waiting for and hoping for. And then this is where we're going to pick up. It says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 through 4, when Ahab, who is the king at that time, got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. You think that at this point she would say, you were right. We're going we're gonna to turn as a country. I get it now. You've proved yourself. God is with you. Instead, she says, May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped a part. It says Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under his solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who are already dead, who have already died. So let's, let's really get into Elijah's shoes here. Isn't it a really crazy sight to see that in front of 300 other prophets and all the people of Israel that were following those prophets, when Elijah completely by himself challenged their gods, they could have killed him right then. The fact that he even showed up when already before this point, Jezebel and Ahab had already told, everyone already knew that Elijah was, had a mark on his head. He, he already was, had a hit out on him. They said anyone that brings Elijah dead or alive is going to be rewarded. Right before this scene, a, a commander of uh, Ahab's army finds Elijah and uh, was looking for him to kill him and bring him to the king. Elijah shows up on his own. And he, at that point, he was so courageous and so bold for what he believed God called him to do. And yet after all that, it seems like nothing has changed. Jezebel says, may the gods strike me and even kill me. By this time tomorrow, I haven't killed you as you have killed them. They already wanted to kill Elijah. They already wanted to kill him. And see, this is... That feeling of, I don't feel like I won. Have you ever had somebody tell you, just be happy? I don't feel like I'm happy. 
It, when you, have you ever had someone say to you in some way, some manner, well, at least you got your job. At least you, you should be happy. At least you have a job. You should feel like you're happy. At least you have your family. At least, you have, at least you're married. You should be happy. And see, it's those moments where you, you achieve something, but you didn't feel like you really achieved anything. And right after, it's like this part, after he gave everything he got, a lot changed in the country, but nothing changed for him. See, that's what sucks about life sometimes, is that we can change everything around us, but it seems like our situation doesn't change. That's how it was for Elijah. They still wanted him dead. All of Israel came back to God, had a huge revival. But nothing changed for Elijah. It, it is an extremely difficult thing to strive so hard to achieve something. Something that even took years, years to get where, where you're at. To only be attacked immediately after. It's those moments where you feel like you've done everything right. And you think, I just know that if I do what's right, something good's going to happen. And it seems like worse things happen. Y'all dig what I'm saying? I don't feel like I turned that corner. I don't feel like I won. And for Elijah, he's at that point of the story. It says that he, he was afraid and fled for his life. It says that he left his servant there. See, it's those moments and those moments that are so difficult where you work so hard and it doesn't change for you. Maybe it changed for your family or even your spouse or all your coworkers, but it didn't change for you. How you feel on the inside didn't change. Everyone told you to just go through the motions and by the end of it, you're going to feel better, but you don't feel better. And it's once you get there that you start to leave people. Maybe you didn't leave them physically, but in your heart, in your mind, you're gone. You start fascinating about being alone. You're out of there. And you're constantly thinking in your head, I just need to go. I want to move somebody somewhere else. I want to leave all this behind. Anyone thought of that before? I want to just leave all this behind. And we go to that place where we're so alone and we're just like Elijah and we say, I've had enough. I'm ready to leave. And we just pray, God, I just wish that you'd kill me. Does Elijah really want to die? Of course not. Why would he be running if he already got a death ticket? He doesn't want to cash it in. But he, see, that's what, that's what people don't understand about suicidal thoughts. It's not the desire to die, but the feeling of having, being so weak from trying over and over and over and striving to a point where you've had enough. You just... You just want peace. You just want rest because everything that weighs on your shoulders is too much for you to handle. You feel like you can't make it another day. And even though you don't want to die, you pray that you were dead. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I've had enough. And see, what's, what's so isolating about experiencing this is that everybody else is celebrating. Everybody else is moving on with their lives. And we still bear that heavy weight of responsibility, of repercussions, 
all that weight and the fear of not being able to succeed again. It's the thought of, how am I going to be able to do this again? I barely made it here. How am I supposed to repeat this? How am I going to be able to make it again? And all that weight just settles and makes you want to just run away. I think that I, I hate funerals so much. What I hate most about them is that you could be the, the one that's feeling the grief so heavy. You're the one that all that grief is weighted on you. And everybody that comes in is going to go out. I think that's what's just hardest for me about it. Is that it's like people are there to grieve that day. But they don't carry it with them once they leave. And when you're the one directly affected by that, you carry it with you the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, the rest of your life. And I, it almost makes me feel sick when, when you see everybody else just going back to their normal lives while you're still carrying that weight. I've had enough. We get so tired and so weary that our passions turn into contempt. The things that used to bring us joy now bring us just bitterness. The promises that we used to cling to now have only make us think of pain. The hopes we once had now make us sick. It makes me think of a lot of marriages. Now, at the beginning of a marriage, it seems like all you want is to get married. All you want is to be together the rest of your lives. But then several years into that marriage, the thing that used to be so passionate, that brought you so much hope and joy, now is the very thing that brings you contempt. When you wake up, you feel sick to your stomach because you, you're not happy with where you're at. You didn't feel like your marriage succeeded. It's not what you hoped it was. It's a lot harder than you initially realized. And maybe you've made it over one hump in your marriage. Now I'm not talking about a kid. <laughs> you made it over one point in your marriage. And you get through it. And all of a sudden, a year later, months later, whatever, it seems like your marriage is attacked again. And what's hardest to bear is thinking, how am I going to make it again? How am I going to make it again? I barely made it here. How can I go another five years? See, it's those moments where we think, I've had enough. I'm ready to leave. Y'all with me today? Doesn't feel like a one. Let's go on with the story. It says, then he laid down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more. For the journey ahead of you will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. 
Then he came to a cave where he spent the night, but the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? See, we get in these moments where we've checked out in our heads, checked out in our hearts. We already said, I've had enough, and we're gone. And it's like we're in the state of sleep, just like Elijah was. It says, but he was sleeping, and an angel touched him, talked to him, and made him some food, some pancakes right there. (laughs) And notice that Elijah doesn't say anything. It seems like he's not even moved at what he's seen. I mean, to a point where I I imagine Elijah early on in his relationship with God, when he first saw God moving through his life, he was completely amazed. He's blown away. Man, I can't believe the God of the universe would use me. Just like when you first get married, right? I can't believe this, this guy of the universe, this girl of the universe would think of being with me. And all of a sudden, now he's at this plate where he's so content with what used to be his hopes and his promises. That when an angel's right there like, hey, get up and eat. I made this for you. She's like. (sighs) And see, it's those moments where we're just going through the motions. We're just doing it because that's just our routine. We'll eat, but we won't talk. And it's at that moment where you're in a point of life where everything is routine and nothing is passionate, nothing is intimate. You're just going through the motions because you're just trying to live that day. You're just trying to survive that day. And we don't want to talk like we used to. Even when we see something special, it doesn't move our hearts like it used to. But we are willing to go through the motions still. We just can't bring ourselves to be intimate. We can't bring ourselves to actually talk about what's going on. You ever had hell in your heart, hell going on in your mind? You're you're thinking crazy, you're going crazy, but you don't tell anybody. You just keep it locked in, right? You know, I like to always say, I'm very sarcastic, those of y'all who know me. And I went to some, like, you know, emotional thing or, like, a healing thing or was teaching about being, you know, healing your heart or whatever. And someone looked over at me like, man, isn't this so good? I was like, I usually just bottle it all up. (laughs) (laughs) I just press it down and release it, like, blowing off steam here or there for, like, little things where I just overreact. (laughs) And they just looked at me like, oh, okay. And my wife tells me that I should say that I'm joking, but I figure they'll figure out one day, right? (laughs) And see, it's those times where we need to say something. If you just keep going through the motions, you'll make it to the next day. But you're going to miss out on truly special moments. Special moments that are right in front of you. You know, it makes me think of my daughter's. I, I told my wife the other day, because those of y'all who know, our second daughter was a surprise. And when my wife gave me the pregnancy test for our second daughter, I said, what? <laughs> we just got this one. What are you talking about? 
But we are so thrilled to have our, our, another baby. We got two for one, two for one deal. And I told her the other day that, you know, it's, it's, no, it's no coincidence that our, daughter, our second daughter's name is Jules Mercy. <laughs> I said, one, because we needed so much mercy <laughs> to deal with this because this is so much responsibility and it's so hard. But two, precious things are made under pressure. <laughs> The most valuable gems are made under pressure. And she has taught us how to do life under so much more pressure. (laughs) And see, both of us, if we were to get caught in the moments of difficulty, I mean, it's been difficult. Those of y'all who have kids, you know that it gets difficult. If you get caught up in those moments, it's so easy to miss moments that are special. Because you check out and you're just, you're just feeding your kid. It's not a moment where you're appreciating their laugh, their little faces. You're just giving them a bath. You're not, you're not having a special moment with them. You're putting them to bed. You're putting them in the car. You don't think of how that moment of them being a child is special. And that's why I, every older person that sees us with our kids are like, from high chair to high school, I'll tell you what. They grow up so darn fast, lickety split. Because everyone that talks to us has a country accent. <laughs> but it's because so often we get caught up in the pressure, the hopes that weren't fulfilled, things not working out the way they were supposed to work out, everyone else getting benefited but not feeling like we really found a blessing. See, a kid is a perfect example, right? I don't feel like it's a blessing. (laughs) And see, in those moments, we can miss truly special moments. Y'all dig what I'm saying? What's, What's very inspiring about Elijah is that he still, he still goes to where he's told to go. I feel like there's, there's something within us. There's a, there's a point where you might be checked out in your head. You might be checked out in your heart. And you might even be fantasizing about the worst. But it says that when the angel told him to go to where he was going, he went. He didn't say anything. He didn't appreciate special moments, but he still went. And deep down, wherever you may be at, you might still have that simple knowing It doesn't feel strong, but it's something deep in your heart where you know that it's supposed to work out. It might feel like the weakest little twig that's about to snap inside your soul, but you know it's there. And so he keeps going. He keeps going, and he, he ends up going all the way to Mount Sinai, and finally there... It says that God asked him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And it says, Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. Torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. 
Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And the voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? You know, sometimes we just need to know. This is the first time where Elijah speaks to God after everything that's happened. And he tells God everything that he feels. Feels like I've worked so hard. I've done all this. It seems like I got nowhere. I've tried being the best kind of person I'm supposed to be. I tried doing the right thing. I tried being good. And I feel like nothing has changed. In fact, I feel like things are worse now than ever. And I feel like so many times when we're going through this, it's like what we really need to know is that no matter what, is that we want to just know if we did the right thing. Don't we all just go back to the initial part where we doubt the beginning we doubt the promise. We doubt the purpose of why we started trying in the first place. And he says all this to God. And it's like you, you want God to just do something or say something. I just need to know. I just need to know. Was it, did I do the right thing? It, is it, was I really supposed to do it like that? Or was I just being stupid? Was I just being gullible? Was I just being overly hopeful or did I actually do what you told me to do? Did I, did I get my gut feeling right? And we want to, we need some type of type of affirmation because we work so far, so hard, but, and we, we just need to know that no matter what the but is that we're experiencing, did we still do it right? Are we still on the right track? Is it worth still going? Y'all dig what I'm saying? And God calls us, and no matter where we're at emotionally and spiritually, He calls us to stand before Him. Because we see Elijah, uh, so many, I've heard so many preachings on this, this specific story, and usually, I feel like we usually just like, like to be super critical of the people of the Bible. <laughs> And usually it's like Elijah was rejecting God. And God called him out to face him. Notice that no matter what kind of pity party Elijah was in, that God didn't tell him, stop your pity party. And God didn't, God didn't just blow him up right there. He didn't like just kill him on the spot. How dare you question my, my sovereignty? Blah. But he says, Elijah, what's going on? What are you doing here? What? Talk to me. He sends the angel to, to, to give Elijah some pancakes for breakfast. He didn't smack him over the head, said, I told you to do it and you shouldn't question me. But he is so gentle in responding to Elijah. And 
God doesn't hide his face from him. He says, come and stand out before the cave. I, I know that you don't want to, but I want to talk to you about it. I want you to talk to me. And it's, I think what's, what's so amazing about Elijah is that he expresses his raw emotion. I don't know about you, but there's been times where I felt like I couldn't pray to God because I felt, I felt almost like I couldn't. I feel like, how can I bring to you my problems or what I'm going through when I, already, I am grateful for everything you've done in my life? But right now, this is so hard. I feel like I, I still can't bring it to you because I'm going to come across as being ungrateful for the past. And once Elijah finally gets over that part of himself and realizes that God is, wants to know what's going on now, God isn't still holding it. God doesn't hang it over your head. I already helped you. What more do you want? I told you I love you when we got married. What more do you want? He doesn't hang that over him. He says, talk to me. And that raw emotion is returned with God showing how great his power is. His ability to just completely do whatever he wants. It says that there's this fire, an earthquake, a great windstorm. And then a gentle whisper. Isn't that downright confusing? It's almost like those moments. Don't you want God to show all that fire and that earthquake in the situation that we're going through? Wasn't this fire, earthquake and windstorm what Elijah was wanting to do? To those who said that they were going to kill him. And God shows him right there. Elijah, I, 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 I'm able to do that. But I'm gentle. Even though I could send fire on all of Israel. I could shake the whole kingdom. And fall, make the palace fall on top of Jezebel and Ahab. But I'm gentle at heart. And not even with the wicked do I want to burn them alive. And it's in those moments where it makes me think of when Jesus washed Peter's feet. And Peter was almost offended that Jesus would wash his feet. That he would be so gentle and so humble to wash his feet. And there's this, there's an amazing song by Missy Edwards called Killing Me With Mercy. And it talks about that that perspective from Peter and says, Jesus, I would rather you show your power and make me pay. I'd rather you be a powerful God, a vengeful God and make me pay. But instead you wash my feet. And it's almost like God's mercy is so much that we can't take it. And when he responds in that gentle whisper, it, it's almost like that whisper of what we need to hear. Have you ever had a moment where you thought to yourself, I just need to hear something from God. I just need to know. Why do so many people go to psychics and palm readers and, and etc.? Because they just want to know something. They just, they just need a little bit of direction. They just need to hear even a whisper. There's people that go to psychics and like... I feel something. And you're like, oh, yes, God, please. (laughs) 
It's like you just want any little ounce, any little whisper. And this gentle whisper that Elijah hears is enough for him to go all the way outside the cave. To, to really go into God, to go back to him. And this gentle little whisper is enough to motivate him once again. It's like sometimes we, we just need to know from God, keep going. It's like if, if he just tells you something just the right way, it's almost like it, it'll, it makes you go back to where you're at. Because in 1 Kings 19.15, we're skipping down. It says, Then the Lord told him, Go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be king of Aram. He also tells him to go and find Elisha, his predecessor. And pretty much tells him, just go and do all this. And nothing's going to happen to you, Elijah. And what's most amazing is that I don't know what was in that gentle whisper. Maybe Elisha didn't even hear it. Maybe it was just like... But there must have been something because at that moment, when God told him what to do next, he immediately goes and does it. He was so done. I've had enough. I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to leave. I'm finished. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to do anything anymore. And there was just that one whisper, that little unction, that little, that little gut feeling you get. There's just a little bit of that from God. And it was enough for him to go back to where he came from. And so often we think that the solution is somewhere else. The solution is just running away from it and never picking it up again, never going back. But here it's, a, it's an illustration. And so many times God tells us to go back where we came from, back where that hurt started, and that there's something there. And sometimes it might be even doing the same thing you already did, but you'll get a different result. Sometimes it might be doing that one more thing. You just didn't realize how close you were to the touchdown. You didn't realize how close you really were to feeling like you won. Y'all dig what I'm saying? It's just like when Jesus told Peter, after fishing all night, Jesus said, why don't you just throw your net out one more time? Just right where you're at. Don't move anywhere else. You know what? Just throw it on the other side. Just throw it out one more time. And after trying all night, ready to give up, it said all of a sudden their net was so full they couldn't bring it up. See, so many times we're right there to feeling like we won. And we stop at the, the first little part of winning. And once we don't have those emotions, that feeling and everything changing for us, only around us, it's so much to bear that we can't keep going. And we feel like even though we won, we still feel like we lost. And... I want you to take the last little ounce of faith you have. That last little gentle whisper that you might need. And I want you to trust. And it doesn't take that much more faith to try again. But if, if it really were just one more little ounce, if it really were almost there, would it be worth it? If you're right close to everything that you originally were praying for, hoping for, and wanting, 
wouldn't it be worth it to work out? Whether it's a career, a marriage, kids, whatever, purpose. If it was just a little bit more, wouldn't it all be worth it? I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're here and this message was for you today. You do not feel like you've won. Everything else has changed around you, but nothing has changed for you. It feels like you won for other people, but you haven't won for yourself. And you need that little gentle whisper. You need that that one thing to go back, to keep trying, to keep hoping. That one more time motivation. If you need that today, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. Amen. God, right now, I ask for you to speak to your people. Encourage them. Speak your hope in whatever they need to hear, Lord. Whether it's something like that, that, that special moment of an angel giving them food to eat just to make it on their journey. If, they, if they're at that point where they need some nourishment from you, provisions from you to be able to make it farther down their journey, or whether they've already passed that and they just need to hear something from you, God. I ask that you supply their needs and I ask that you speak to them, God. Say exactly what they need to hear. Encourage your people today. Show them that you are the God who hears them. You are the God that can be as violent as can be, but that you don't want to be violent with them. That you are gentle. And if you're here, and maybe your, your journey is at that part where you first need to answer the call God has on you. Maybe you're at that point where you need to put your trust in Him, your faith in Jesus for the very first time. Or maybe you're at that, you were that person that tried and tried and tried and every time you tried to do good, it seemed like worse things happened. And you didn't feel like you got what was promised to you. But you're ready to, to try Jesus again. If either one of those of you, with every eye closed and head bowed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. And so the Bible says in the book of Romans, all it takes to start is a prayer. All it takes to start is a prayer. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, it says that surely you shall be saved. And that word saved sounds so vague, but it means so many things. It's not just saved from eternity, but even saved in this world. It feels like death follows us. Sometimes it feels like death lives within us. And there might be someone here today that you need to be saved from all of that depression, that anxiety. Sometimes that starts to prayer like this. So pray with me today. Say, Lord Jesus, Today I put my trust in you. Be my hope. Be the life in my soul. Rejuvenate me. Help me to go farther. Help me to get back up. I know that you died on the cross 
And I believe you rose from the dead. Because you're the son of God. Be the Lord of my life. The savior to my soul. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me to know what to do next. I need a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in the same kind of reverence, I want us to enter in a time of worship. And with all of us standing to our feet, what I want you to focus on today is having that moment with God. Let's all stand to our feet. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.